Scott Gardner will be unable to attend Comics Monthly Monday this month due to the fact that he is with me in Milan, Italy, currently filming a new Demanza Corp extravaganza, whether we like it or not. Please excuse his absence at this time, and we give you your regularly scheduled program. Good evening. It's Megacon from March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Megacon is the Southeast's largest comic book, science fiction, fantasy, anime, gaming, toys, multimedia event. The showroom has over 110,000 square feet of exhibitor space. Meet your favorite comic book artists, get autographs from your favorite celebrities, enter a costume contest. Visit continuous anime viewing rooms, view the Indie Film Festival, and so much more. You don't want to miss it. One-day tickets are $24.49 in advance, $30 at the door. Or go for all three days for just $58.04 in advance or $60 at the door. I, Scott Gardner, will be there Saturday, March 16th from open to close, wandering the floor in my Two True Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's Megacon. March 15th through the 17th, 2013, at the Orange County Convention Center, Hall D. That's 9800 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. Be there. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Welcome to Comics Monthly Monday, number 48. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with Michael Bailey. Hello. And Mr. Paul Spataro. How you doing? And no Scott Gardner this time. Very sad. Unbelievable. Unprecedented. Well, he had a good reason. He always has a good reason. I thought he said said it was because he hated us. I don't count that reason as a necessarily a bad reason. Uh, it, uh, yes, but he also has a high degree of self-loathing, so he continues to associate. Oh it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I. That makes sense. I always wondered uh, why it worked out that way. Why you would want to, you know, hang out with your mental inferiors all the time and listen to their drivel. <laughs> I'll tell y'all when my uh, case study is done. 
Oh God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope that all the pictures involved in that are in a sealed, you know, sealed part of the the report, so no kids get at them. <laughs> yeah, especially the your file, which is epic <laughs> in more ways yes. than one. <laughs> I've been crafting that for years. All right, so um, who who wants to start out with their uh? Their comic news and or reviews or anybody got anything good? Oh, you guys I... always have something comic-y going on. Well, the only thing of note for me is, uh, and it's not even for me at all, but just uh, the news recently of comic podcaster making good. You guys hear about uh, Ron Richards from iFanboy? No. No. He's been named as into an, for an executive position position in Image Comics. I think some sort oh. of de developmental. So position. did he go from so podcaster to that job? Is that something he's done in the past, or is they, they just said we want to get this podcaster? He's so good. To well, he he uh, I I met Ron at the last two New, two New York Comic Cons. I'm uh -huh. sure he doesn't know who I am, <laughs> but I had stopped by and said hello and whatever. And I mean, it seemed like a nice guy. I, I, you know, they I, I met all three of the guys from the show, and they all seemed pretty cool. Uh, but but Ron clearly is very very active in the industry, uh, you know, as far as making contacts with various creators and such. Mm -hmm. And such, and uh, he was basically the guy who ran the recent Morrison Con that they had. You know, he he was okay. in charge of that, and uh, apparently he over the years made pretty good friends with some people from Image, and then they offered him a position there. That was, uh, you know, they made him an offer he couldn't refuse, and he's leaving the podcasting world because he's afraid of the conflict of interest there, oh. and, uh, and and going to work for uh, Image. But you know, congratulations to him because, you know, I'm sure that's a dream for uh, almost everybody. You he know, he could still podcast. You just have to do a different kind of po different, po <laughs> you know, kind of podcast. Well, he, yeah, he. I think he does a non-comics podcast that I'm not even familiar uh -huh. with. He mentioned something about it on the air. Uh, but their their show they do a uh, a pick of the week show where they they go through their week's comics and they pick the one that they think is best. You know they take turns the three of them each week. It's a different one's turn to pick the best book of the week, and then they kind of go through the week's comics. So I think when you know when you're working for a company that would probably you know be number three in the pecking order, uh, it's probably unfair to be making the pick as to what the best book of the week is and reviewing books. And, you know, I, I, I do see where it would be a conflict mm -hmm. of interest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Just, you, can't, you can't really do that. It's just like, well, what book did you like? <laughs> well, image Let comics. me tell you. <laughs> exactly. Or, or, or even if you read one of the books from your own company and you don't like it, you know, you don't want to stop blasting books really... from your own company. You can't you can't give a negative review. This is why. Or you um, go the opposite way and you try not to. You try so hard not to favor that your company that you might let something go that really would be a good valid pick for the your best pick. But you're like, ah, I don't want to look like I'm plugging my own stuff. Yeah, it just screws yeah. it up in all different ways. Yeah. But but this is why, to a large extent, one I I. I I, I try not to do current stuff and anything I talk about on podcasts because then there's a kind of, you can listen to it at any time. And yeah, there'll be references to stuff going on at the time. But if you're talking about a book from 20 years ago, 
that you could talk about that book now, you could talk about that book, you can listen to that five years from now, and you're not really losing anything mm. because it's not you're being all contemporary. But also, you know, I, I never really wanted to get into trying to get in good with any of the publishers. Uh, one out of laziness. I'll, I'll <laughs> it is that. a lot of work. But, but, That's but my two, reason. But two, I, this is going to sound egotistical, and it's not meant to to be that way. But I never wanted to be beholden. Like I, I didn't want to think. Should I say this, and how is that going to affect the interview mm -hmm. that I want to do that they were arranging for me? And if I say something negative about their company, well, they'll suddenly say, oh, you know, interviews off, you know, and cut me yeah, out. Yeah, you'll have a lot I of one-time interviews. <laughs> I don't want to be in that position. I want to be able to say what I want to say when I want to say it and be only answerable to the people listening to the show at the time. So, but more power to him if he can do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, somewhere, I mean, it's probably unrealistic for most of us, but somewhere, I think, in the back of the mind of every comic collector, you know, at some point you dream of working in the industry. It'd be yourself. nice to have a job in the in the comics, or you know, I mean, I mean, I'm waiting any day now. The, the the odds keep going up that there's a possibility that someday somebody will like call Scott and I up and go, you know, um, do you guys want to be consultants on the new Star Wars movie? But the odds are going up from like twenty five <laughs> billion to one. <laughs> now it's only like 20 23 billion that's still kind of exponential and some you know that's still a huge <laughs> uh a, a, they used to be like as close to zero as you could possibly get you know <laughs> my only comic thing is and i'm i was trying to track it down but i can't remember where i was talking to this guy on so i can't remember who it was but it was either on a um like instant message over facebook or over a email in the in the gmail or something but somebody suggested that i uh do a special on uh the chick comics the jack chick tracks that you would find around <laughs> the chick tracks well really? it's funny because they said i have a feeling you would really you know that would be something you'd be into and it's like yeah i got a whole bunch of them and i just dug them out yesterday i was uh i was talking to uh um hair metal hero and we were just, you know just shooting the shit about and um i'm selling uh my set of it's time for them to go um incredible hulk tops trading cards from the tv show the bill bixby show so all the stickers and all that so you know we were, we were talking about all the different kinds of cards and stuff and i'm like i'm pulling down my box of all the just sort of random cards you know where i have like five from a set or something and uh started you know digging through those and there they are all like 10 15 20 chick comic tracks somewhere i have an envelope i used to write him all the time and he would just send just Stacks, and you didn't have to send him any money. Self-addressed stamped envelopes and a and a Ill, you know illegible, bare you know barely legible, barely literate, mostly illiterate, you know, plug ignorant letter, and he would just send you package after package after package. These big old envelopes full of the 
full of every kind of tract, you know, that he had. They were just stuffing envelopes full of, full of books on how to distribute them. It was awesome. So I dug those out. So that's in the works. I'm definitely going to do the Chick Tract show. Maybe even I'll do a dramatic reading, of, acting out of some of them. There's some of them that are pretty crazy. You got to do the one where the guy, it's revealed he's having relations with his own daughter. Oh! Because it's one of the most stiltedly written. I remember reading that when I was like in the fifth grade going, what is going <laughs> on? Is that the one, does that one have... Is that the one without any dialogue and, like, the little girl eventually dies in a cardboard box, like, in a rainstorm? No, no, it's... They're basically convincing him that he has a problem, and basically, they... The way I read it now as an adult is it's, like, basically, they're telling him that he's having sex with his daughter like you would tell somebody they have a drinking problem. As if they were kind of the same thing. You know, it's just like, oh, what? No, what? Was like, he, did you not realize? Was he this unaware, was or was he just unaware that he shouldn't be doing that? <laughs> I have no idea. It's it's been so many years. Uh, literally, I was in the fifth grade. We were during winter, uh, since we couldn't go out for recess, they would have volleyball uh, during recess, and we would have tournaments. Uh, and I remember a kid came in, and he like one of the kids in my class had like all these chick tracks. So it was our turn to watch the game because our our class wasn't playing. So I was sitting there reading these chick tracks, which is, I guess, what you want a you know ten year old, eleven year old to do. <laughs> They're made to warp a ten. Talk so about far. stuff warping your kids kids minds. You know, I, I mean, geez, I'd rather almost have them watch a saw movie than read some of those some of those chick tracks are just brutal you know it's there was one yes. of a little girl who gets beat by her father and just abused in every way till she dies in a in a cardboard box in the rain and then and then goes to heaven at the end but i remember reading that when i was a little kid going oh my god <laughs> well, at least it had a half i could, yeah yeah i could i could never figure out you know what flavor of christianity he was i knew he wasn't catholic <laughs> because he hated the Catholics. Every time he had pictures of priests, they all looked like the emperor. You know, they were all in robes and just like <laughs> drooling and slavering. And he had oh. that great pseudo realistic, super, you know, detailed style, but at the same time, exaggerated and crazy. Oh my God. I just, uh, love it. I love it. How can I follow this? Um, <laughs> I'm sure you, you can. You've been nothing to work with. No, you never um, have nothing to work with, man. I'm sorry. Your brain is like a vault full of information. All you have to do is sort of shake it up and, you know, it's like a... Well, it is like a can of soda. A can of soda. Sometimes, so. it's like, sometimes it's like a gumball machine and out comes a perfectly formed little perfect orb, shiny, colorful orb. Well, it's uh, it's been a long it's day. A, Anyways, it's a frothy um, spew. I I've got uh, one small thing and and one big thing. That the small thing is a is a very big thank you to our good friend and fellow Demonzo Core uh, worker B Andrew Leyland, Andy, and his son Michael. I have to thank his son Michael for this. Sent me a little package uh, in the mail that did not blow up. Thankfully, uh, I'm I'm kind of wondering what is wrong with the postal service. Because he sent one to me and sent one to somebody else who lives further in the United States than I do. 
and that guy got his package in like three days and mine came like three weeks later so uh andy suggested that i have a word with the postman which implies that talking to any employee at the u.s postal service will do anything but frustrate the crap out of me so um amen but he said um I, i've talked in the past on this show i think i believe it was the show that uh, i'm fascinated with uk reprints of mm-hmm. american comics and he sent me a couple issues of superman legends which is what they were doing a couple years ago to reprint the then current superman stories uh apparently uh, these were michael's uh, he didn't need them anymore because he had the absolutes of the stuff so they sent them my way and it, it it's not that I don't have this material because I do. It's just I'm as a as always I am fascinated with how it's packaged. You know, you're you're seeing the same things but in a completely different way. So if you were following the Superman books through these uh, issues of Superman Legends, you were actually getting like whole sh- stories, like three issues in one chunk. Mm-hmm. And so, it's like this alternate yeah, universe version of the comics, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that that well, you see, I'm. This is going to sound really weird. One of the the common things about my dreams is I will dream different versions of whole movies and be sitting there watching the movie wondering why it's different from what I remember. Oh, my God. I can't wait till we get VCRs for our brain, man. I'll pay to to watch your (laughs) dreams, man. (laughs) People will pay not to watch my dreams. Um, So thank you, Andy and Michael. Uh, I appreciate it as always. I will have to get a uh, thank you gift together the uh, big thing was super bowl sunday was the third and as always here in atlanta uh the atlanta comic convention has one of their biggest shows of the year on super bowl sunday letting out a half hour earlier than they usually do to give everyone time to get home safely to watch the big game uh some of you may be thinking why would they do that what comic book fan uh, is going to be watching sports There's a lot my and share. then and then yeah and then uh, then i have to remember or, or they should remember i know this that uh especially somebody who is on the show right now uh loves football and comics somewhat equally so no 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 hey i love comics more than football but i do <laughs> well, love football and i love baseball even more than that so i was gonna say it seems like we, there's, there's a lot of baseball like there's a lot of nerds that really like baseball yeah, I think you know, uh, it, 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 there is a similar mentality to yeah. it with the the stats mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know just to kind of keeping track of everything. The, it, there is there is a similar thing, except just sports is somehow you know more commonly accepted. Yeah, a good friend of mine actually and I were talking a couple weeks ago when we were having lunch, and he pointed out something that I never really thought about before, but. The reason why, you know, there's still baseball cards out there and there's still baseball card shows, but it doesn't seem to be as a big of a deal as it used to be. And he said, well, that's because we have the Internet. 30 years ago, when you wanted to know the stats of your favorite player, you needed their. That's card. how you organized it. Yeah, because that's how that, that's what told you. Now you can go to ESPN.com. And I'm sure there's a section, or probably even Major League Baseball has their own website. Oh, yes, MLB.com. 
Yeah, so you could go there and can I've never been there, but I'm assuming not only can you see current players, but you could probably they probably have records for going the back. Past. Yeah, every player ever. Yeah. So that yeah, that satisfies much. that urge of being able to yeah. reference that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's the collector's mentality to it, and you know, I I have always felt that there is a frustrated baseball card collector in me somewhere, which is why I have all of these non-sports card collections lying around um but there is because there but the the similarity between the baseball card collectors and the comic book collectors is wanting to get an entire set of something so you extrapolate that to people that like football that like baseball i you know i don't like sports and i have and i have been in the past been the type of person that, that would be like oh you know Sports and comics really don't mix. But over the last couple of years, I've really come to change my mind on this. Not that I'm saying that there aren't, you know, asshats that like sports that make fun of people who like comics and I'm supporting them. But really, if you boil down all fans to their essences, in a, I, I, I believe it would be one of the best sociological experiments to ever happen where basically you get a handful of fans from all walks of different fandoms. That's when you're talking, you, my my friend, you're talking about isolating the nerd gene. Yeah, well, <laughs> but but I, I'm telling you right now, that dude that paints himself, that, that wears no shirt in 30 degree weather and paints himself has more in common with the dude that dresses up as Green Lantern and goes to a convention than they probably ever really would think was possible so I, I think i think you're, you're right i think you could set up like three test groups you have one of sports fans who don't like comics one of comic fans who don't like sports and one of people who like both and you start doing profiles of each one and yeah types of things they're interested in and how they react to different things i think you'll find a lot more similarities than people would would think existed initially because let's face it, we do this because we can go to McDonald's and eat. Uh, you know, we are not pre. Our main preoccupation is not getting up in the morning survival. and getting up on the hunt <laughs> yeah. so we can feed our families. I mean, but, I mean, I've, I've felt that way for for years. That you know, the the further you get from an agrarian society, the more free time you have, the more you have to fill that up with something. Uh, or you kind of go crazy, I think. Because the people who don't have hobbies scare the crap out of me. Because it's just like, what what are they doing? To... I mean, those are the people that you really don't want to go into their crawl spaces. Yeah, they, I, I mean, TV becomes their hobby or something something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah, they're the, the, the people that sit down and get obsessed with reality television or something like that. Um, but... These shows are great. Uh, I love them. They take place in the same hotel. It's There's like four a year. Scott and I went to one. Uh, it was a Super Bowl one, actually. Oddly enough, uh, one year. And what I love about them, and I've said this before, but you know, every episode is somebody's first, is that they're mainly comic shows. There's really not a whole lot of bleed over into other things. I mean, there's always the guy that's in the back that has the Empire Strikes Back sheets, the authentic ones, uh, that sells, you know, the horribly, horribly overpriced Star Wars toys. I'm just amazed that, I mean, and you see the same stock show after show. So I don't know what he's making money off of. 
but really it's just a bunch of comic book dealers. And what's funny is that there there's one guy named Earl that has the prime location of the show. He's got like six or eight tables just stretched across right when you walk in to the little ballroom. And his specialty is that he has $5 boxes and $2 boxes. And people just go to town on them. He buys up collections really cheap and probably makes a very handsome profit off of them. I'll get to the finds that I got in his box in a second. Uh, the, the first things I bought were some trades, uh, some hardcovers, actually, because you had two booths that were 50% off of hardcovers. And that's my comfort zone with hardcovers. I don't know about you guys. I don't like paying full price for a uh, trade paperback because you don't have full price to right. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but with so many venues where you can find these things 45 to 50 to 60% off, it's really hard for me to go to books a million and pick up a trade. I agree. Totally pay what's on that cover price. The, um, I usually have a focus for these shows because I find that when you have a focus, uh, you're much better at finding. We talked about this on Back to the Bins recently, um, which may or may not be out before this. But still, uh, when you have a focus, you're more likely to find something you want instead of being like, you know, squirrel, you know, with your comic book hunting. And one of the things I got was the DC Comics Classic Library Hardcover Edition of Superman Kryptonite Nevermore. This is arguably the first revamp Superman ever went through. In 1971, Julius Schwartz took over the Superman titles, late 1970, release date-wise. He took over the Superman titles, brought Denny O'Neill on, and did a storyline where basically they took half of Superman's powers away from him. That's the Sand Superman uh, Yeah, the Sandman right? story. So I was I, I've been itching to get this hardcover, even though I have the issues. Uh, they're getting old, and I don't want to really open them unless I really have to. And I was just really excited to get this hardcover. And I you know, got it half off, got it home, took it out of the plastic, opened it up. This thing looks like crap. The pages, the page stock is kind of cheap. And it looks like they photocopied actual comics instead of taking them from any kind of negatives, oh. which may or may not exist anymore. And it's really kind of, it looks like everything has like a yellow wash over it. I'm really kind of disappointed that they traded the storyline. I'm this. telling you, I've, yeah. I've, when, whenever I've, um, you know, uh, scanned a, a comic that's kind of yellowed, there's a few buttons you can push in Photoshop that'll take that yellow tinge away. So that sounds like it sounds like an even lazy job of, you know, of everything. Oh, there's been this thing recently. Uh, and Andy Leyland and I were talking about this on Facebook a couple of weeks ago where they're taking old stories from like the 60s and 70s and recoloring them using modern computer coloring techniques. Oh, no. I, I, I have a Neil Adams Batman no. trade that's all of his, like, Brave and the Bold ones, and they just don't look right. Uh, Dennis Rodier. They weren't, they weren't drawn Rodier. to be colored that way. No. 
uh, Denise Rodier, who was an inker. Uh, I'm more familiar with him um, and his Superman work. He inked uh, Butch Geis on Action Comics for years. And if you ever see that Superman News Time special with kind of the painted cover of the cape, the torn cape, that's that's his. Oh, yes, yes. I know that one. Yeah. He was showing off on Facebook his comps for the recent edition of the Death of Superman trade paperback. And I said, wow, that cover, because they, they redid the cover with like modern computer coloring. I was like, wow, that looks kind of cool. And he said, yeah, but they left the inside the way it originally was because that's how that art was drawn to be colored. So when it's kind of like colorizing a black and white movie almost. It's not meant to be seen that way. On the other hand, you want this stuff to look good. So I don't know if they were trying to make it look old and it just didn't work. But it's just like, you know, look at books like The Greatest Superman Stories Ever Told. You know, those are older stories that have to be recolored because they're working from probably black and white uh, negatives. But they look decent. They look good. They're on decent paper stock. And if you're going to charge $40 for a hardcover, holy crap, make it look decent. Yes, I only paid 20 That's not the point. See, so, I, I have uh, the hardcover of Tales of Asgard, which is the old Kirby backup feature. Yeah. Well, Lee, Lee Kirby, but Kirby art uh, from Thor. And they did exactly what you're saying, where they recolored it. And I think it looks awesome. It, it just, you know, it, it took the artwork and it really makes it pop. And, I, I'm not and... saying that it looks terrible all the time because there was a, um, there was a Avengers issue from a couple weeks ago. Um, I mean, a couple years ago, excuse me, not a couple weeks ago, where they reprinted the first appearance of the Wasp. And they used modern coloring techniques. And it looked interesting. But I don't think that's an all, you know, like a something that you can do all the time, basically. Well, you got to pick and choose, just like everything yeah. else. So, and certain, certain artwork lends itself to that. And certain artwork, you're almost highlighting the flaws in the artwork by doing that. But Neil Adams doesn't look good with modern coloring. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, getting into the comics... It's kind of funny, and I never really thought about this uh, until uh, one of my wingmen for the shows is my friend Garrett, who uh, we went to the same comic shop together until it closed, and this is how we maintain a social connection. One, every show I go to, he gives me um, basically what is production art from comic books. They're transparencies with the artwork on it that they use somewhere along the line in the production of the actual book itself. And he keeps buying this stuff, and every once in a while he'll pick one up. He gave me uh, one to the cover of Adventures of Superman number 432, which is this beautiful Jerry Ordway cover. And he's just like, yeah, I know you're the Ordway guy and you're the Superman guy. And I go, yeah, that's also my very first issue of that book. So it's, it's like I have a piece of history almost from something from the earliest days of me collecting. So that was that I, I, when I was, I was looking at, at one time, it's like, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to see what comic book art goes for on eBay. And I started noticing those. 
And you can get a lot of those on the cheap and some really neat stuff because people are like yep. passing it over because it's like, ah, it's not the original art. But I was thinking to myself, and you just reminded, I forgot all about this. I was thinking to myself, you know, if one was to get a big collection of that stuff, someday that collection might come in really handy to someone because I'm sure if it's getting sold, there's probably an archived copy of it. But archive yeah. stuff sometimes, I mean, it's not in a sealed vault and, you know, and the, the Fortress of Solitude or anything. It's it's in a file cabinet somewhere, and it sometimes goes missing or gets lost or, or thrown away. And, the, you know, they might need that stuff someday for to reproduce those covers or the, the, the pages of art, so... It, I think it would be a really neat thing to collect. And isn't it sort of larger format? Is it is it the same size as a no, comic or is it uh It's it's a little larger mm -hmm. than that. So uh it, it's just it's just cool to have. Yeah. I, he's given me he's given me a couple different pages from various Superman books and I always just appreciate the heck out of him actually, you know, thinking of me in that. But he he made a he made a uh he made a point that uh I had never really thought about before, but these, these $5 and $2 boxes, which are now spreading throughout the show, other dealers are showing up with dollar and $2 and $5 boxes as well. And I think that's where the money is for this particular market. Basically in Atlanta, we don't want to pay a lot for our back issues. <laughs> Oh, I so, think it's like that everywhere. So when you bring that stuff in, that that just has that that whiff of going hunting, you know. That you're uh, that that idea of he buys a whole collection means he doesn't care if there's something in the five dollar bin that's worth twenty five dollars. He threw it in the five. If he gets five dollars for it, it really it cost him ten cents, you know. So he doesn't yeah. care. So when if you get there first and you spot that thing that nobody else spots first, you can walk out with some great stuff. Or, you know, he doesn't care if it's rare or hard to find or you know obscure. Yeah, the stuff, the, the key issues he'll mm -hmm. pull, uh, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but but you're absolutely right. That's basically the mentality of it. And this show was particularly good. And Garrett made the point that it's basically you're prospecting. And every once in a while, you hit a good vein mm -hmm. of a title or a, a series or a creator where it's all right there. And, you know, it's like, you know, you're sitting there figuratively with your little, you know, your little thing and you're dipping it in the in the water and everything and you're bringing it up and you're shaking it out. And sometimes there's nothing and sometimes there's just yeah. gold after you, gold you, nugget you, you after gold Cornelius, nugget. Like, <laughs> nothing. This is... This is how I got Action Comics number 300 for $5 mm -hmm. in really nice condition, or what I would consider nice. Uh, picked up a bunch of some Silver Age um, Superman books in the $5 bin. Uh, basically, outside, I had to go outside of Earl's for the first issue, but I basically got, oh, for the exception of one issue, completed my collection of the Jack Kirby Forever People series. Uh, I had to buy issue one at another dealer, and that will lead to a heartbreaking story in a minute. Um, the $2 boxes, however, were just brilliant. There was an entire long box full of Marvel Star Wars. 
No, they did not have a 107 in there. Yeah. yeah. I looked. I looked, believe me. Because I know that if I could find that for $2, somebody would probably pay me a lot me, more. For me, it. me, 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 me. You find 106 yeah. and 107. I need those. And number 20. But, but, I mean, there was like in the in the 10s and the teens and the 20s and the 30s mm-hmm. and the 40s, all the way up to the 80s, just, <clears throat> you know, multiple copies of all of this stuff. I was able to buy new versions of the mid eighties daring new adventures of supergirl series which i'd bought years ago on the cheap but they were water damaged so i always put those if i can find them cheap i will so i was able to find that i uh, got a bunch of more <laughs> more forever people in the two dollar bin the the real surprise and what made what made the show for me was in the two dollar bin was the very last dollar issue of world's finest that i needed to get them all basically i have not paid more than two dollars for any of these books and i'm very proud of this and now it's now you never will yes sorry it's all done (laughs) um scott's gonna laugh at me for this but i i found forever people number one for 25 dollars it's in beautiful condition it's a kirby book it's 40 years old at this point mm-hmm. you know 25 is, is is the most i ever really ever want to pay for a book and since it was a number one i felt ah okay and it was in really good condition and then i went to another table and somebody had it in the five dollars no, no, no. it wasn't in as it wasn't as in nice condition but still um that hurt like, <laughs> a lot um but still it's it's really cool that I've been basically able to get all of the seventies Kirby stuff in the, in the original issues on the cheap, because it's not that I'm adverse to buying like the omnibuses that are out there, because you can basically get the whole Kirby fourth world in four volumes at this point. There's just something really cool about seeing the original art on the, on the, on the page with the ads Mm -hmm. and you get context for how, what era these books were released in. So that that's kind of what made the show for me. Very successful show. Uh, had a great time. Spent a couple hours there. Talked to all the people that I normally talk to. Um, learned that if I have missed out on a more recent book to just wait for one of these shows, because there's a store that comes down from North Carolina that uh, has more recent books at basically cover price. So I got I to gotta remember that for next time so I don't, you know, go to mycomicshop.com or eBay or something to find these things. Because everything that I recently ordered was all there. And it's like, crap, I could have gotten it now. Mm-hmm. Now I have to wait. Waiting sucks. <laughs> um, uh, no real celebrities at this one. Uh, this show in the past has had, like, you know, big name comic stars and had John Wesley Ship at one point. Basically, what this show attracts is extras from The Walking Dead. <laughs> There's a lot of those, I'm sure, like zombie extras. They're all zombie extras. Yes. Yeah, what am I saying? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just like, you know, basically, this guy, and he was in this episode doing this. And he'll sit there with his pictures and sign them for you. For a fee. I shambled for ten seconds on The Walking Dead. <laughs> I'm trying it, to think of like what Walking Dead extra would be somebody that people would, you know, clamor to get. Maybe like the uh, the well zombie. 
Um, Carl came to one of the shows. The kid that plays Carl. Uh, and uh, you couldn't even get near his table. I felt bad for. The I kid. wouldn't want if I was his parents. I wouldn't want walking. You know, I mean, most Walking Dead fans are fine, but you're still gonna get some weird ones who are just gonna be, you know, ask him some inappropriate question because their line is blurred on Carl. You know, and but then again, well, because they think they're funny, yeah, or because they think they're funny or whatever, yeah. And but the thing now that I'm thinking about it is. On the set, Carl's been exposed to the act. That kid is the actor's been exposed to all that stuff anyway. So, yeah, it's just yeah, it's just weird. I mean, there's got to be hundreds and hundreds of zombie extras. I I mean, Mike, you could you could potentially as long as that show's going, you could probably eventually. You know, I keep thinking about that, but then you know, the, with the way my job is getting the time to do it would be probably problem. Well, here's the thing. I mean, if they called you to do it, it's not one of, it's one of those things. If they called you to do it and it ended up, you couldn't do it. They're not going to be like, where's Michael Bailey. He'll never work in this town again. You know, it'll be just like, you know, at some point they're just going to be like, all right, we got 35 of the 70 people who from the Craigslist have shown up, get them over to makeup. So, you know, I mean, you should at least throw your name on there and, hey, it might come up on a day that you can either take the day off or have the day off or something like that. It's, and if It is kind of funny, though, to, to be sitting there because I don't watch the show because I'm, I'm not home or I'm doing something like this uh, when it's on and I just haven't devoted the time to sit down and watch it on Netflix. Um, it's really funny to watch my friends' Facebook, the friends that I have in this area's Facebook messages when it's on because it'd be like hey that's my kid's school and that makes it weird you know i mean it's weird enough when you're reading an issue of the walking dead and it says your town oh, yeah. is 10 miles away as they're walking to woodbury basically that's creepy you know that that's kind of like wow that so that's it brings it all I'm yeah so it brings it all home literally uh, but when you actually see the sets and see like them like standing in front of landmarks that you know, that's that's even stranger. Yeah, it's I'm a picture right that's now. going around on the web of somebody, somebody got on the overpass where they took the picture for the original poster, you know, just of the of the highway going yeah. into Atlanta, and you know they've got the picture there like in a postcard size, and they're holding it up so it fits over, you know, so it, you know, so. You see the regular landscape, but then you see we're in this, you know, the zombified landscape superimposed over it. It was really neat. But yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that's what comes from location shoots. You know what I mean? It's got to be kind of like, I don't, uh, uh, Paul, you can tell me if I'm off base on this or not. You watching Law and Order, like mm-hmm. any of the random Law and Order or Seinfeld shows. or. Since New York is such a character in that show, and it seems like they do a lot of location shooting in New York, because <laughs> that's where everything's centered. I mean, is it that way, or am I off base on that? You know, when when they, uh, I, I honestly, I've I've watched very little Law and Order, but when they when they show the New York areas, it does, you know, when it's an area I'm familiar with, it almost takes me out of the show a little. Yes. 
because you've been if you've because yeah. I start thinking, oh, I've right. been there and I've done this, you know. Uh, now, Law and Order, just to make sure I remember right, that's that's the one that had Jerry Orbach on it. Yeah. And uh, the first season, it was uh, oh, so I'm drawing a blank. The uh, the actor uh, he he's got blondish hair, but his receding hairline. Uh, uh, Michael Moriarty? No. Uh, damn, I'm the the guy who was in Bang the Drum Slowly with Robert De Niro. wasn't Wasn't he? George uh... Zunda? No. <laughs> I can't even think of what his name is. But uh, whatever the I case may be, I saw the porno I had, version uh... of that. Bang her bum slowly. <laughs> I had I had a reason to go to the. Uh, I was in going to the New York City courthouse. And they were filming while I was there. And uh, I was walking up the stairs, and he was directly in front of me. And he was walking very, very slow. And, and I just, like, kind of didn't, didn't realize he was, you know, a big star or whatever. And I just kind of looked at him and I said, excuse me. And I kind of <laughs> just shoved my way by him. Uh, <laughs> That's New York City all the way, though. Uh, I'm damn, walking I here. I have to look up his name. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. But, yeah, I mean, when this when this... Set, you know, sets that are uh, the actual places. Like I said, it kind of takes me out of the uh, out of the show. So I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm kind of lost now. Is that the point you're making, or am, yes, am I missing it? That it's just. It's just surreal. It, it makes it, it. It's like. It's why I think when they do Gotham City or Metropolis, they just sort of make it a vague reference to the. To yeah. New York, Chicago, they mix New York and Chicago together, and they'll use building. Sometimes you can recognize a building from one of those cities, but they still they'll doctor them up so it's not like obvious. I mean, I, I mean, I had a I had a guy I worked with who was from Australia that said it was really weird watching Superman Returns because they basically use Sydney as a stand-in for Metropolis, mm-hmm. but as somebody in the United States. It just looked like a right. big city. That happens for a lot of Toronto yeah. people, too. So, but, you know, I, I th- one of the things about Superman the movie that drives me nuts every time I see it is when they fly by the Statue of Liberty. Because that's oh, not we, Metropolis. And you were right. It was Michael Moriarty. My mistake. Yeah. Um, that's that's not that Metropolis. You know, yeah. That's I, New I mean, York I, City. Right. And New York, and New York right. City exists in the Superman universe. Correct, because he went there to visit Spider-Man. Yes. And they do that all the time in the movies, too. Yeah. You know, they'll show the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building or even even the uh, the Daily Planet building in the, you know, Superman the movie was the Daily News building. Yeah, and uh, the Daily Planet building on the George Reeves series was L.A. City Hall. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you can still go there. In fact, when they uh, a bunch of years ago, a guy did a fan film, like a fan film trailer of Superman Batman meeting. It was the same guy that did the Batman fighting the alien and the predator uh, movie mm-hmm. that was actually really that freaking cool. good. Yeah, uh, they shot outside of L.A. City Hall for the Daily Planet. It was actually kind of cool. Have you guys seen the full length um, Superman fan film that somebody made? I wish I could remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's on uh, Golden Child, the one that was made for eight hundred bucks. It might be. It seemed like it looked like it was made for about eight hundred bucks. There's been a there, there's been a whole lot of those 
Recently. This was like an hour and a half, hour forty five minutes long. It's it's on YouTube, and uh, bizarre. And and I keep forgetting, you know, when when I get you guys here, because I figured that you guys probably, I I started watching it, and I figured that you guys would get maybe a little further than me just out of curiosity. But uh, yeah, I've been curious to see if. Either you and, and I, Scott have watched it, and what and what you thought. No, because I I, I look at fan films kind of like I look at fan fiction. I, I I see the need for people to do it. I respect their commitment to actually produce it, but I I, I find going through them kind of mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah. Uh, uh, mainly because it's not that it's low budget, because that's that's what you you know you're gonna get that. It's just sometimes it's just like, okay, kid, you're not quite ready for prime time yet. You know, you, you, you and and that takes me out of what I'm watching. I mean, it, well, it's with a budget for eight hundred dollars, you're really the odds of you getting a good any good kind of good actors or actresses are pretty slim to none. And especially one that looks like Superman or Lois Lane, or so you can you can fiddle with well, Lois Lane, but Superman can't be you know you can have some blonde guy or something, bald guy. The one uh, the one the one I was thinking of that was made for eight hundred dollars was only uh, like about fifteen twenty minutes mm-hmm. long, and they actually had like the official Superman from the Metropolis celebration who lives I think in L.A. A, oh, that guy. I think a lot of these uh, these fan fi- I think a lot of these fan films are actually film students sure. uh like their projects sure. their final projects and i think sometimes they do manage to get you know not name actors and actresses but i think they get sometimes reasonably talented actors and actresses because you know they're going to some sort of school for performers or right you know, and they're for the, for the and arts it's a film and they school get they're most it. likely in la or new york where there's actors crawling out of the woodwork everywhere exactly so they post that they have this project that they're working on and people will do it not for the money but to get the exposure that you know hoping somebody's going to see this student film and and discover them but i, I you know i've started to think maybe that's where these these movies because i was always wondered where they came from but like the that grayson movie that they had yeah uh, or the one with the predator that you just mentioned and uh What's the other one? Dead End? No, Dead End is mm-hmm. the one with the Predator in it. Isn't yeah. It? And there's also people who are like, I, th- I think a lot of them, uh, a good amount of them also come out of like, where you have people who work on real movies on the lower tiers of the crew and stuff, and they'll get together and they'll be like, hey, you know, we know how to do all this stuff, and we watch the directors and the actors, and they'll get together and... And it'll be like a hobby of theirs. They'll get they'll get together and they'll do something fifteen or twenty minutes long. And they hey, you know, they have access to the electrician's you know van for a little while and stuff. And and you'll get little labors of love like that made by by people who you know normally wouldn't you know they're they're just working the grunt jobs in some other movies. But they're really better off with that stuff going you know for the. You know, six seven minute mark because I think then they will get the exposure. It's it's tough to tell somebody, oh, go on YouTube and watch this hour long yeah. student film. But somebody oh, says, I'm there in a, I'm there in there a second, it. but I'm only going to get ten minutes. I'm you know I'll, you'll be lucky if I get ten minutes into it if it sucks, you know. Yeah, but how how many views did Grayson get on YouTube? Yeah, I mean, millions. Mm-hmm. It's only a certain. 
Um, Superman Requiem, it's called. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a huge deal when it first came out. I remember that now. Um, speaking of Superman, and speaking of, um, I don't want to call it a fan project because this guy's uh, a professional. Uh, John Schnepp, who is a Hollywood guy, is has a Kickstarter campaign going on right now, and uh, Kickstarter is kind of a fascinating thing for me at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, where I'm just, you know, seeing people trying to get, you know, graphic novels and stuff put together or movies. What he is doing, and uh, he's actually really close to his goal, uh, is that he wants to produce a documentary called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? Where basically he is going to go in depth and do interviews and get all of the production art and everything he can about the never produced Tim Burton Superman movie from the 90s. Now is that is that the one that uh, Kevin Smith wrote? He wrote one of them at least. Yes, he yeah. he did he he did an early draft of Wesley Strike. I read that. Came once. in. And so I normally I I'm not one of these people that that's like, "Hey, support this because I just don't have time." Um, but I stumbled across this, and this guy has such an enthusiasm for the project. And, and he actually makes a case for why this movie should have been made. Because now you could pop it in, and it's this really weird Superman movie that was that was produced at one point. And you can kind of watch it as a cult movie. It's an anthropological <laughs> yeah. artifact. But I really... It's kind of funny. I... I I really want this documentary to be made because I really want to see exactly what, what was going to happen, what went wrong. And, you know, his his ultimate goal of course is to get people like, um, you know, to actually interview like Nicholas cage and Tim Burton and all that. Uh, but you know, he, he, if he makes his, his original goal, you know, the movie gets made. If he makes his stretch goal, He's actually going to shoot a scene from the script. Now, when you say the movie gets shoot. made, it's you mean his documentary about it. Yeah, his documentary okay. gets made. You know, but if the stretch goal happens, if I'm if I'm correct, I hope that with the possible success of raising the money to make this feature documentary, that we will also reach our additionally intended stretch goal of fifty thousand dollars, which will be used to actually produce and create several key scenes and moments. From the Superman Lives scripts using the incredible graphic ideas generated by the many designers and artists. I will also hire artists to make 3D models, build practical models, design backgrounds, animate lasers, mm-hmm. make Brainiac's eyes glow inside a giant floating skull ship, and composite very cool action flying shots. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not that hot on that idea. I, I mean, it sounds cool, but I'd rather see... The real story, you know, the story of it, you know, I'd rather see. And I think when we were talking about this on Facebook, I was like, this sounds really cool. I'd like to see it as a giant coffee table book, like not really a coffee table book, but a big tome that has all the scripts that they had, you know, that basically just has all the material that you would base this movie on in it. So you can go through and see whatever production sketches they made. You'd see it in the movie, but you could really go into depth and you could read the Kevin Smith script. 
and whatever. See all the pictures they took of Nicholas. I think the Kevin script, the Kevin Smith script, is actually available. Oh yeah, on, online. It's avail. It's it's really funny. It's available on all these places where it's just sort of like scroll down forever. You know, it's just one big yeah. long thing. And I read it a long time. I've got it somewhere as like a PDF. It's it's, it's out weird. there. Yeah, and it has moments of Kevin Smith dialogue. But it's still trying to be a cartoon thing. It was weird. It, it would not. It didn't seem like it would have worked very, very well at all. And like, and you know, I mean, Kevin Smith interviews. He said the like producer was telling him, you know, think of Superman, but he never wears a costume. We never see him in the costume. Yeah, yeah. And, no cape. Yeah, no cape, and all you these. Know what? I'm thinking. I'm thinking of getting Sean Penn to play him because he's got an eye. It's like a cape. yeah so it was it was like kind of like this huge swirling tornado of bad creativity of bad ideas which is why oh yeah oh my god how fascinating i mean the pictures of nicholas cage and his superman outfit with his receding hairline are just you know completely priceless they look like one of my Photoshop jobs, but the reality, you know, how horrifying <laughs> well, is that? that? The, the the listeners can't see this, but Paul uh, posted in the in the chat. You can actually go to the Superman homepage and, and just scroll back a couple weeks and see it. They actually have like the authentic shot of Nicolas Cage in the suit. And you know what? The suit doesn't look all it's that bad. It's not all that bad, but Nicolas Cage got just, the muscles yeah, in. Nicolas Cage just looks weird in it. Yeah, because it's just like you, you're like, okay, where's the hairpiece? It <laughs> better be a hairpiece, because yeah, that's just like. But I, I just, you know, uh, it'll probably already be out there uh, through the Radio KL live show that I do every Monday for the Superman homepage. We're actually going to interview this guy, um, so oh, I'm looking wow. forward to that. But I wanted, but I wanted to mention that here just because. This is actually a Kickstarter pro uh, thing that I actually believe in and am mm-hmm. giving money to. So I was kind of like, I wanted a book, but if he makes it into a movie and the movie's successful, they can make that book anyway, and they'll have all the material for it too. So mm-hmm. make the movie, and I'm sure the book will come. But I want, I want to have this big, like, 500-page book with just all the production notes. And just be able to and the and the the Tim Burton drawn pictures of yeah. Superman that look freaking weird yeah. and it's just they look like they're like edward gory or something like that yeah i mean yeah how awesome would that be yeah it's just a it's i'm fascinated with art projects gone wrong as much as the next guy and and to see it see it happen with superman and to see also it's also a little bit of you know that bullet was dodged you know so it, you go oh, okay <laughs> Because if it would have become well, a reality, it might not made... have been as fun. <laughs> but they they dodged that bullet, and then they made Superman Returns, right? Which, but you know, yeah, was but, a but failure in its own Return... way, right? Yeah, but with Superman Returns one, it, it actually you know it didn't make as much as they wanted it to make. It was kind of a disappointing but... thematically as a movie failure, but I mean this yeah. one was adding adding up to be just like train crash crazy. What the hell was that? And actually, it's, yeah, this would have been an all-time classic. Yeah, it would have been a just you know crash and leave a big crater in the ground. But actually, I mean, that's I I guess I'd almost kind of want that more than like Superman Returns, which was just sort of like okay, you know, because I was like that wasn't a bad movie. It just isn't 
you know, it doesn't make me feel like, okay, that's up in the pantheon of Superman movies. It was like acceptable with some things that were completely unnervingly unacceptable and but just a mostly general blah blah. It's it's it, it was kind of dull, first of all, and it very poorly characterized this Superman. movie this movie probably would have very poorly characterized Superman too. But there's no way it would have been dull. <laughs> there would yeah, exactly. there would probably been people walking out of the theater. This one, I don't think anybody walked out of Superman Returns, but there would have probably been people marching out, going, "I know." <laughs> and it was, and yet at the time we were all wanting it to happen. Why wouldn't you? And that's the thing, that's the weird thing about this is that you know as these Nicolas Cage pictures are coming out and more production stuff you know like the hive mind of the of fandom rears its ugly head and everyone's just like oh we dodged a bullet oh it would have been so bad oh look at that it would have been terrible and it, and that's true but we can never be one hundred percent sure it might have been terrible up to a point and they got a new writer in and he said wait a minute and totally retooled it into something good you know yeah. Because if you look at some of the early drafts of Superman the movie, like the original 500-page script that Mario Puzo wrote was pretty much tossed. And you had Leslie and David Newman and Robert Benton coming in and doing a draft. And then after that, Tom Mankiewicz came in when Richard Donner was hired as a director, and they refined it even further. So... If if we're gonna judge this movie based on where it was in the production, you know, in pre-production at the time it was canceled, it's almost like judging Superman the movie the by script. the early the early scripts and the early concepts that they were coming up with. I mean, for, for Guy Hamilton was really close to being the director of Superman the movie. The so only reason a James Bond feel to it. The only reason he didn't was they moved production from Italy back to England and Hamilton was a tax exile. Uh, he didn't want to give, he didn't want to pay a certain amount of taxes. So he had to live, he couldn't work in the country basically. Uh, so they had to find somebody else. Now I'm, I'm friends with one of Mario Puzo's sons and I got to ask him and I, try, I generally don't ask him a lot of stuff about his father because I don't want to, put him on the spot but i gotta ask him one day about how the whole thing developed with the superman the movie script and how that was received in their household when you know that kind of got tossed out because uh, i think that would be really interesting to i hear. have a feeling that like our writers often don't get too concerned when stuff gets tossed out because i think basically most stuff does get tossed out you know a lot of times yeah. if you're a writer you get paid to write stuff that never gets made most of the time. And then, you know, you're, you're lucky if some version of something you wrote get gets made. So he was probably just like, he was probably just like, ah, oh, that's, it depends on the writer. It depends on how temperamental they are and what their attitude is and all that. It's kind of weird with him because everything I've, I've read and heard about as far as Mario Puzo's involvement is he was brought in because he was a marquee name. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're going to try to raise money for a movie, 
you get somebody that has a bankable name. So it's like written by Mario Puzo, starring Marlon Brando. Suddenly the money comes pouring in. Well, that's just in, got Godfather. Quote, that's two Godfather, yeah. you know, which is funny because yeah. Godfather Superman, I guess, you know, okay, Oscars, <laughs> you know, is the only people don't put those two things together. But the thing about Mario Puzo is I remember when I read The Godfather after see, I saw the movie and I'm like, man, I better read the book to this because this movie's fantastic. And I remember the book was not at all what I expected it to be. It was actually a lot better than I expected it to be because it moved. It just it was a page turner and, you know, pulpy. It wasn't, you know, written to be like this great thoughtful piece of literature where the movie has that sort of like sprawling epic. This doesn't, the book didn't feel like a sprawling epic to me. It felt like more like the Sopranos, you know, where it was just like, boom, 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 going from one thing, a little soap opera aspect to it too, you know, and every, every chapter ended on a high note. So it, it, it sort of made sense for Superman because I was just like why would they get the guy who wrote The Godfather and uh, you know but when he would turn well he not that you really not that probably much of what he did ever ended up on the screen so he uh, he spent a couple days at DC Comics according to Elliot S. Magan and they he says we sat in the we sat in the DC offices him Carrie Bates Elliot S. Magan and Mario Puzo smoking cigars and talking Superman and he is the reason, from what I understand, that we have not got ever gotten a comic book adaptation of both Superman 1 or Superman 2, because they would have had to pay him money to do so. Oh. Because that was worked into his... In that, his that, that's why there was never a novel... There was never a novelization. There was never a comic book adaptation. It's why you had those two Elliot S. Magan novels that came out, you know, uh, Last Son of Krypton and Miracle mm -hmm. Monday, which came out for the movie in Superman 2, and why instead of adaptations, you had those treasury-sized, you know, books about the making of both films. And I think both of them had, like, yeah, and, the, and they could, like, the, both of those books had pictures from the, you know, of Christopher Reeve on the cover of them. Yes, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I remember those. Those, I actually got those somewhere. I just dug them out the other day. I've never read them yet, though. Scott swears by them. Last Son of Krypton is very good. I have yet to get through Miracle Monday. Well, I think that's a good time yeah, for a break. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, <laughs> we'll take a little break and come back with our top five and everybody's favorite, get me to read a goddamn superhero comic. Why, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis. You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd erotica. Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. I was just kidding. Have a shot of trying once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of Strip Fizzbin. Let me loosen that strap. Hey suckers, Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that shit too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that and we got more freaking comics than you can read in your entire miserable goddamn life. Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and goddamn Harry Potter and M... 
Them goddamn Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. So you get your ass over to the Two True Freaks podcast at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. That's spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, all right? All right? Good. You can get there on the internet and choose from hundreds of quality Two True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a goddamn t-shirt? Remember, Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Welcome back to Comics Monthly Monday, number 48. I am Chris Honeywell, and I'm back with Paul Spataro and Michael Bailey. Hola. And we're... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off after introducing... <laughs> That's what I'm getting. I'm getting in the flow, man. Being a little cantankerous. Yeah. Well, I had a long day today. You know, the, the, the super mega storm that everybody was all panicked about hit. I, I took, Snowpocalypse? Yeah, I, I took a long walk to the post office in Snowpocalypse, and then I... I walked back and I was like, you know what? I better stop at the grocery store and grab some stuff because I, I need a few items. And I ended up walking back with like 25 pounds of groceries on me. And then I came back and shovel, had to shovel my driveway twice because the first time I'd shoveled it before I left, I came back. It was almost like I hadn't shoveled it. There was another five or six inches on it. I thought you didn't own a car. I don't, but I like to shovel I got a pretty. <laughs> I do. I like to mow lawns too. You know, go figure. But I, I, I got a pretty sweet setup in in my you know my house. It's like it's not like I'm renting from a landlord, but I'm living in the same house as a friend of mine, you know, who owns a house. So I got you know I got three rooms all to my own and and free internet and you know and the heat and electricity is all included in. My very reasonable rent, so I make sure that I like do a lot of the yard work. I clean the gutters every year. That sort of households, the household stuff. You know, I've lived here for like thirteen years, so yeah. I mean, that's just part of it. And I, but you, either way, I would be shoveling. If somebody else goes out with a shovel, I'm like knocking it out of their hands, going, no, 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 give me that. I'll, I, I got it. <laughs> you know, mine, mine. So. So I was a little, I was exhausted, and so about ten thirty, I'm like, geez, ate ate a nice big dinner, um, pizza with bacon, had bacon, broccoli, blue cheese, and chicken that I'd put my homemade wing sauce on. So very filling dinner. So I was starting to crash out. So I made my. What the hell is wrong with you eating pizza with broccoli? Mmm, I like broccoli. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Broccoli and blue cheese, and you both are high. And, uh, <laughs> and well, you know, I mean, with with I was trying to make a buffalo wing sort of thing, but you can't really put celery on a on pizza. It's just not oh, right. Oh God! Imagine how mealy right. that would get. Yeah, not right. Not not happening. Hot celery is not hot at all. It's a it's bad unless it's in soup. You know, then it's okay. So no celery. So I had to fit. I wanted something green and and vaguely crunchy. Although I didn't. I, there was. I boiled it till it was pretty soft, but it worked out really good. It was just very heavy and. Well, to be fair, I'm I'm kind of very simplistic when it comes to my pizza. I like you know cheese or just you know pepperoni, sometimes sausage. Um, what are you crazy? 
What? <laughs> sausage on pizza? Depends on the sausage. Um, no, I'm, I'm joking. I like everything on pizza. Mm-hmm. I was, and you got like you see, but you see, Paul. I will always be jealous of you because you have good pizza. Oh yeah, where you yeah. are. So, oh, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not even, you know, when I was in Brooklyn, I had really, really good pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, now, now, now on Long Island, you know, you do have to search it out a little bit because there's certain pizzerias that aren't all that great out here. But for the most part, you know, if you find the good ones, the pizza's very good in them. Uh, I live in Georgia where we have, there's a place in Atlanta called Fellini's that does very good New York-style pizza. But it's kind of kitschy almost at this point. It's like it's it's not, like, decorated as such, but it seems to have, like, you know, is it, the, the one... Is it one of many kind of pizzas they do? Uh, no, it's not like California Pizza Kitchen that does something like that, you yeah. know, like has all the specialty pizzas, but it's just, it's more of kind of, to me, it always, the, the, the main one that you would go, go to, it seemed to be like where it was like a novelty almost because we're so used to shitty pizza that, you know, any place that does it well, thankfully over the past couple of years in the area I live in, which is on the South side of Atlanta, uh, which is not the baddest part of town, so I just don't have to beware of a man named Leroy Brown. Um, that was Chicago, that jo- anyway. That joke fell flat. Baddest uh, man in the whole damn town. I was on mute. I'm sorry, man, or I would have been right on it. I had that song <laughs> stuck in my head for like a was week it, last week. Wasn't he in Chicago? Yeah, it's the south side of Chicago. Okay, yeah. yeah, Leroy was um, a gambler. And stood his, about uh, six foot four. Six foot four, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, God, my parents played a lot of Jim Croce when I, I was know. a kid. He ended up like the... a jigsaw puzzle with a couple of pieces. Oh, pieces gone. <laughs> I, I remember that song. They they used to they, for whatever reason they did it on the Sonny and Cher show. Oh my God! I, I, with Sonny Bono singing it with a cartoon. The cartoon. Oh my God! I have that same memory. Like that's my memory of that song, and it had like. It was a real simple. It was like the cartoons they had on Hee Haw. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Wow, you're the only other person who's ever remembered that besides me. I've I thought that might have been something that I'd made up in my head. Now I haven't thought of that in years. I wonder if you could find that on YouTube. I have not been able to find. It's one of those things that's been. But every once in a while, I'll remember it. And I did it like this week. I was looking for it. You never know. Any day it could turn up on YouTube. But I couldn't find it, and I just remembered going, ah, maybe I'm crazy, or maybe it was some other show or something, but I remembered it being Sonny and Cher. Now, just along the lines Excellent. of a big memory like that, I remembered as, you know, in the 70s at some point, uh, sitting and watching some, I don't know, some variety show, and Lou Rawls was on it, and it was being broadcast live at the time. And he sang, uh, you'll never find another love like mine, whatever, you know, that song. But in the middle of the song, he went into like this coughing fit. And my brother and I were hysterical laughing at his misfortune. And I mentioned that (laughs) recently to somebody at work and he went and he found it on YouTube. Oh, excellent. Oh, I have to see that. (laughs) You'll never. (laughs) I, I shouldn't even do it because by by now I should have found it on YouTube to be playing it. <laughs> uh, 
Wonderful. So, are we points. doing the Freaky Five? We are. This is we're we're and now we're entering the most organized part of Comics Monthly Monday, the top five list, the most you mean regimented. We're done, we're done with tangents. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how we get through this. Stop before we tangent again. Please. Don't. Stop. Alright, who wants to go first? Anybody uh, feeling uh, feeling froggy and want to jump? Uh, I don't care. I'll go first or I'll wait. Whatever you guys want. You will go first. I will go first. You will go first. So for anybody who doesn't remember, we're doing the top five alternate universes. Mm -hmm. And the way I recall us agreeing was we were going to either do top five that were published or top five we wish were published. And as I told you guys earlier, my lack of imagination made me go all with the former and none with the latter. But my top five Elseworld or What If stories, <clears throat> number one is the number one issue of What If. What If Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? which was just really, really cool at the time. I mm -hmm. had that book brand new, and I read the shit out of it. I must have read that thing 30, 40 times. Uh, what if books were always kind of famous for... <laughs> you know, they almost always had a sad ending. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, in, in What If Spider-Man Joined the Fantastic Four, which was coming from Spider-Man number one when he goes in and you know asks what the salary is, and they tell him there is no salary, and he leaves... Uh, but in, in this instance, all of a sudden, they decide to give him a, a stipend to join the team. And it makes Sue feel less and less needed as part of the team. And eventually, she runs off with uh, Namor and, uh, and and leaves Reed. Oh, jeez. So it, it was, I it forgot was a about that. You're right. Oh, my but God. But it was a great book. Number two on my list is I, I'm, I'm just going to venture a guess that number two on my list is on Mike's list, which is okay. JLA The Nail. Any chance? No, but I do like that story. Uh, I would have thought that was that was one of yours. That's uh, It's an Alan Davis written and drawn book mm -hmm. with uh, basically the Kents are driving along and they get a flat tire so they never make it to where the uh, Kryptonian ship lands so they never adopt Clark. And raise him so there is no Superman. And then it turns out eventually that he was found by an Amish couple and raised by them. Uh, but eventually, as the story develops, I think that was was it a mini series, or was it, it two was issues? A, maybe it was it was a mini series. It was a prestige format book back when DC was kicking out Elseworlds prestige format books basically every month. Uh, man, they got expensive. But it was—it's all based on the old, you know, for one of them, for one of a nail, the kingdom was lost. Yes, exactly. But eventually, at the end of the story, he does become Superman and join the JLA. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a big, huge reveal right there at the end. I liked it quite a bit. Number three on my list is Days of Future Past in the X Men, which is now going to be the basis of the next X Men movie, which I. I'm going against what I always do, and I try to keep my expectations really, really low so that I won't be disappointed. But the more I think about what they could do with this, I just think it could be so, so cool because they've cast a lot of people from the different X-Men movies to play the younger and older versions of the same characters. 
So I think they could really and, and Singer's back as director, and you're gonna have young Magneto and old Magneto, and you want to see that meet up. And you're gonna uh, have just... young Professor X and old Professor yeah. X. You got I mean, just... Jackman to play a part in it. He, really... yeah, I think he, I think he's pretty much. Usually, he will not turn down playing Wolverine, given what that did for him. I mean, he had a great spoiler warning, Christopher J. Warden. He had a great cameo in uh, First Class. Oh, yeah. That was one of the highlights of the movie. I mean, the entire theater lit up when they saw him. And the, you, there, there was like a buzz. You could great. do him as a cameo in Days of Future Past if you do it right. Because you could give him a scene that would be no more than three or four minutes long. Yeah. Be if, if, you know, in the comic... I don't know if you, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I don't know if Chris is. But in the comic, when they go to the future, basically he confronts a sentinel and gets basically vaporized to the point where there's just the adamantium skeleton left. Oh. And well, that, that would stop him these days. He would just reach no, it. Oh, really? He would recreate. <laughs> but, but they could do that scene and just, you know, have that his only appearance in the movie, basically. Yeah. So that that could be really really cool if they do that. Next on my list was the Last Avengers story, which Ooh, is from by Peter David. I'm sorry, by Peter David. Yes, right around the same time as JLA the Nail, I think, if my memory is right. Uh, that was when Marvel was kicking out a bunch of prestige format uh, painted books, and honestly, I wasn't crazy about the art in the book. I thought it was a little muddy, uh, but the story is just great with you know basically uh kang and ultron teaming up and just destroying the future avengers you know uh the hulk is i guess the hulk is basically insane in it and mm -hmm. takes tigra by you know basically treats tiger tiger like a wishbone and rips her in half uh really cool story and my last freaky five entry is a slight sheet since it's not a comic book but it's from the batman animated series the episode Over the Edge. Oh, love that episode. I've heard that, about that, it and never seen it. It's it's just a great episode. Basically what happens is uh, Scarecrow shoots his fear gas at Batgirl. And she has a nightmare where basically she dies and her death is the impetus for Commissioner Gordon, who knows all along that Bruce Wayne is Batman, to start this manhunt for Batman, and it's it's just an incredible episode. I, I think it's I think it's the best of the whole series, and that's saying a lot because that was a really good series. And that's my freaky five. Uh, I, I guess I'll step up next. I I'm I'm kind of like Paul. I I sat there and I tried to think of alternate realities that I would like to see, mm -hmm. uh, you know, made up. But it's just like. Uh, if I could do it, but to come up with five different ones um, just proved too difficult. So I just thought of the, the, the five Elseworlds and what if stories that I love the most. Uh, number five, and this is one of those personal favorites, not exactly what you would call like it was a, the shining example of this. Uh, but it was uh, from the second what if series, what if the Punisher's family had lived 
Mm-hmm. And it was this, this, this basically they um, they don't get killed in the park. You know, the uh, if I'm remembering the issue correctly, instead of chasing down the kite that the little boy stumbles into the mob hit, they don't see anything. But of course, they end up getting killed um, because Frank becomes a cop and he gets involved with some corrupt police officers and they end up killing his family. So in the end, he becomes the Punisher, just not in the way that traditionally. It's just but, delayed, yeah. Because if it's a what-if story, it has to end in a depressing fashion. <laughs> exactly. Um, however, having said that... Um, when I read it at like 12, 13, 14 years old, I really liked it. So it's one of those ones that I've always held on to. Number, um, number four is Captain America and Batman from around 1996 or so, somewhere around there. Is that the one that takes place in the forties? Yes. Yeah. Is that, is that Burnout? That is, yeah. John Byrne written and drawn and is referenced in Generations. In the oh, cool. Superman and Batman Generations story, Batman references the ending to that story. They just never say Captain America. So theoretically, that all exists in the same world. If I, if I remember that one correctly, it's regular Burns-style art, but the character models are, tro- are throwbacks to the 1940s look. A little bit. They're, they're, you know, it, it's very much the '40s Batman, the '40s Captain America, that kind of thing. It's just, it's just a great story. I abs- I finally was able to read it. Picked up a trade paperback of a bunch of Marvel DC crossovers that had uh, actually both of the Punisher Batman ones in them, which are of varying quality. But I just like as an Elseworlds story and as an alternate universe where those two characters get to meet. I, I, I think the real tragedy was we never got the, you know, Superman, Captain America icons, you know, story where it really explores, you know, how those two characters are seen uh, by the rest of the world. Um, number three was another what if story. And it's and, and again, it's from the second series. It's what if Captain America did not give up being Captain America during that whole storyline in the 1987 where he quits and John Walker becomes Captain America? Uh, mainly for the moment in the story, spoiler warnings, where Captain America is basically on the outs uh, with the government because he he refuses to yield as is his want um, and at the end he's making this big speech of how everyone's kissed and made up and the Red Skulls man steps up to the stage and blows his head off Hey, <laughs> because if it was a what if story it has to end in a depressing way <laughs> um, but no it's just the artwork wasn't all that good but just for that shock moment where it's like, holy crap, somebody just blew off Captain America's head. And of course, Nick Fury liquidated him pretty quick, as you would as you would imagine <laughs> would happen. Um, I love that Captain America story where John Walker becomes Captain America and Steve Rogers becomes the captain. 
Uh, it's really funny that like all of my favorite Captain America stories tend to have Steve Rogers not being Captain America. I don't know what that says about me as a Captain America fan. It's kind of weird. Um, but no, it's just, again, that's one of those... You guys know this, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners do as well. There are some stories you read at just the right age that mm-hmm. if you were a little younger, you wouldn't have appreciated them. And if you were a little older, it might have looked, it might have seemed silly. Might have been a little silly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it hits you at just that right, that sweet spot, basically, where, you know, you will always love it because of that. Um, number two, Kingdom Come. And a lot of people have problems with Kingdom Come, mainly because, you know, the impetus of the story is that Superman has given up. And, and here's the thing uh, with Superman specifically, but but with most characters like this. If your problem with a what if story is what if Superman gives up being Superman is, well, Superman wouldn't do that. That's not the point of a what if story. Right. That's why you have a what if story. It's like because it hasn't happened, but yeah. You you see, have to, the what I'm sorry? I was I was gonna say it's I don't see it as Superman gives up so much as he lost his faith in humanity and he yeah. needed to have it restored. But I, he I, stops I think being I, Superman for yeah. an extended period of time. Yes, he does. Which which is which is where I've heard some people having problems with that story. Uh, but it's just the whole point of a what if story or the whole point of, of some stories is you have the character do something they normally wouldn't do mm-hmm. just to explore where that would go. It's, it's a creative thing where you're trying to kind of suss out how this would work out. Kingdom Come, it's funny to me that Kingdom Come is kind of put with Watchmen as these superhero stories for non-superhero fans, where the basic point of them is stop being superheroes. Because at the end of Kingdom Come, everyone, you know, the, the whole idea of the costume hero is basically not eradicated, but it evolves to the point where they're not being humanity's saviors. They're working with humanity for the betterment of the world. Right. Kingdom right. Come has a very positive ending. Unlike, because it's a DC, what they're story. more they're more fit in with humanity rather than yeah. being the protector or that they're yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that it's like the pinnacle of superhero story is don't be a superhero, and that's always <laughs> abused me. Well, I, I debate Watchmen being the pinnacle a lot. So well, I, I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I like it as a story, and as a world to get into. Alan Moore built this very complex multi-layered superhero world i agree uh, with that um i don't believe in the cult of personality that has sprung up around watchmen but as a story in and of itself i really enjoy it, it it's it uh, you know it, yeah it, it is one of those stories that kind of takes the piss out of superheroes which eh, can be done well well that's how i was saying it can be annoying but when it's done well it can be done really well like brat pack yeah brat pack's a brat pack's an example of somebody who obviously has an affection for this stuff just doing a dark and twisted take on yeah. it watchman but too, i prefer that extent. i prefer that to somebody who is saying i don't like this stuff in the way they write it yeah kind of like 
Warren Ellis and Mark Miller and all that with the well, authority. There's, there's, well, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, there's some people who are, you know, and I don't want to single out those people because I'm not familiar enough with it much of the Mark Miller a little bit. But, you know, the people who there's some people who are shaking things up and then there's some people who are like, Mom, Dad, you're stupid, you know, that yeah. they're, they're just sort of <laughs> yeah. striking back. You know, I don't want to eat my broccoli. You guys, no, you're stupid. I'm going to swear now, you know. There's, there's a big difference between shaking it up and shitting on it. Right, and just just trying to cause, it's almost like trolling. It's just like trying to cause a controversy because you can, because you're there and you can do it. And yeah, or, or they're... Or they're trying to shake things up like their idols did, but they don't quite get it, <laughs> you know, what they're supposed to do, so it comes out a little tragic. Yeah. But but Kingdom Come as a story, it, it's one of those stories that I've read and listened to all of the different versions of, to the point where I have this kind of director's cut in my head, so that when I go back and read the original, like the original comic series it goes by so fast that I feel like I'm missing something. But I know, like, because there was not only a, a full cast audio version of Kingdom Come uh, with some very dodgy voice acting, by the way, but Superman and Batman were great. Batman, um, here! No, not not quite that bad, but um, <laughs> there was a novelization written by Elliot S. Magan, and he fills in a lot of the narrative holes that, you know, you would expect from prose as opposed to a comic book story. So I I get to the point where I kind of, I don't know where one ends and the other begins, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm kind of the same way with infinite crisis at this point with having listened to the graphic audio version that I almost prefer that to the actual comic book. Uh, It's kind of weird, but still, um, but no, Kingdom Come is was one of those stories that in and of itself it was a turning point for DC Comics in the 90s because it seemed up until that point, um, you know, especially after the death of Superman, DC was trying to chase all of the trends that Image and Marvel were kind of reveling in. Mm-hmm. And it seemed with Kingdom Come was when they as a company said, you know what? We've got solid writers. We've got great characters. Let's focus on that. And the whole universe became fun again. I, so I don't think I ever read Kingdom Come. I saw the porno version of it, Kingdom Come. <laughs> but. Uh, number one, I don't want to go into this too much because Scott Gardner and I will be talking about this on an upcoming, hopefully pretty soon, episode of Views from the Longbox. My favorite absolute all-time alternate reality Elseworlds story ever stories is John Byrne's Superman and Batman Generations. It has a very simple premise. Superman and Batman made their first appearances in 1938 and 1939 respectively and let's explore their lives as if they aged in real time. And each chapter takes place in a different year. And in the first series, it was every 10 years. And then in the second series, it was every 11. And the, and the stories, especially in the first, uh, cha- the first series, John Byrne, who wrote and drew the series, crafted a short story with the tone of the time period he was writing in. 
so the characters change. And there's inconsistencies in the continuity, but those are done on purpose because that's what happened in real life. Things were a certain way in the 30s, but now they're not that way in the 50s, so that reflects it. Like, in the first issue, it takes place in 1939, Superman has just made his first appearance, whereas later his career as Superboy is referenced. Even though in the first story, that didn't happen. But it's just it's this great world that John that John Byrne created because all of the other heroes make their appearances like Barry Allen and, you know, all of them. And they happen and like Barry Allen shows up in 1956 and then later on Kyle Rayner shows up. It's just a fantastic story. I absolutely love it. I cannot recommend it enough. I really want them to do an absolute of the first two series. Because I think it deserves it in chronological order so that you really get the scope of what he was doing with the story. And that's my five. Well, me, I, you know, I sort of had the same feeling that you guys had about making up universes. There's an infinite amount of them, so you could come up with a million of them, but that makes it even harder. So I only came up with one of my own and the rest are all picks of my favorite and um number five is uh whatever universe that peter porker the spectacular spider ham happens in <laughs> i love that shit i love peter porker the spectacular spider ham with the pun fisher that there uh, <laughs> everything about it i love the giant whale there were, it was just so i uh, it came out of left field and I loved it. You know, it was, it was just the most bizarre thing. Um, um, it's funny. I have on my list, it's happy ending Superman, which sounds like a, doesn't that sound like something on the menu at a sleazy massage parlor, Asian <laughs> massage parlor. We give you happy ending Superman. What do you think? Happy ending Superman. That's a favorite. Number one pick. It's pick of the, you know, but, uh, the, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. I like that. I mean, that's that's considered an alternate universe, right? That's not like real. That's just an Alan Moore an alternate universe. Yeah. yeah, I would say since since it ends the whole Superman mythos. Yeah. <laughs> um, number three, uh, Star Wars Infinities, especially the Empire Strikes Back one, where uh, Luke buys it on Hoth, and that's where it splits off. Crashes a snowspeeder and that's it. Game over for Luke Skywalker. And uh, good game, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it, it that it ends very interesting. They did a very good job of. Uh, it could have been really kind of cheesy, and uh, but they turned out really to put a lot of thought into how things would resolve, and they also put a lot of thought into like you know, the force having to resolve itself and balance itself. So even with Luke done, it had to, the force still had to balance itself. So it just would happen in a, in a completely different way each time through, you know, for star Wars empire and Jedi. And, uh, they were beautifully drawn. They were just, just a class act. Um, number two is the world uh, that the Dark Knight Returns takes place in. 
you know now you know now so that world that that sort of gritty alternate universe is getting kind of worn thin but you know at the time that was that was quite a concept and it was really neat to see batman in a more realistic tone if if we would have known what it would have spawned you know maybe scott gardner and i could have pulled like a a terminator and taken out frank miller before he could draw it now you know what when somebody does something really really good you can't blame that guy because I know. the imitators aren't as good. No, I, 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 yeah, I would not want, I would not want to keep the Dark Knight from being created because I still, I still like to read it. I was, I was thumbing through it a little while ago and go, this is really good. Yeah, I got the second animated film waiting to be watched. I haven't, I haven't watched those yet. I'm saving it open yet. I'm, I'm I have saving both. I'm gonna do them as a double fun. feature. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted them both to be out so I could, I could see both of them. And number one on my list is my own private universe. It's Chris called, World. It's called, no, I have a name for it. It's called Universe Double Y Prime. And uh, in this universe, it is completely populated. The, pop, the, the world's population is 50% Amazonian female superheroes. 49.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
so we don't get to hear the Martians say ack 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 and the Martians are supposed to say ack 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 the only word they know is ack but they they speak English through a translator here which is wrong okay so anyway I'm I, I left out a part here and the the the, the Martians team up with the with the bad transformers but then they double cross all the transformers and then the good transformers and the bad transformers team up against the the martians a bad transformer gets shrunk but it's he is still a badass transformer bugs fight giant ants and roast martians using electricity the martians are just about to blast the planet with a death ray when a green ufo transformer whoops them then the good transformers and the bad transformers fight the end i think i got every pretty much everything in there it wasn't what i would call a complicated uh story no <laughs> so um i don't know if you guys read many transformers comics i certainly don't is there that much is there the, is it is it the nature of this being a one shot you think it's more humorous than uh yeah, definitely. I mean, there to say that meta. there's one to say there's one type of transformer comic is to basically be completely wrong, because much like uh, so, there's all much, kinds of tones that you'll find. Yeah, and there's all kinds of of continuities because you, when the when the comic book first hit in 1984, you know, it, it had a one, and it was completely different from the cartoon in terms of this i mean the basically they both had a similar origin story and then went completely different from there because at the end of the fourth issue of the original transformers what was supposed to be a limited series but then went on to an ongoing uh spoiler warnings uh christopher j warden um Jeez, i should just call him guy... christopher do you have to baby this guy, man? This is the second time you've had to warn. He, he, just he's pinged me a couple of times on Facebook for spoilers, so I'm just doing a gent should, like a little if, genuine, you know, like poking the ribs. Yeah, if, he, but, if, if, if he's if if he's gonna want you to warn him about spoilers, he should pay you a quarter every time you say <laughs> spoiler, Christopher J. Warden. But um, at the end of the the fourth issue of the original limited series, Shockwave, uh, who had been left a bit behind on Cybertron comes to earth and basically wipes out all of the good uh, all of the autobots and takes over the decepticons and it's like a like for the next six or seven issues it's megatron trying to wrest control back from him but he can't do it in a full like you know they can't just duke it out basically because shockwave is more powerful than he is um then as the series unfolded it became sort of entwined with what was being done in Transformers UK, which was written by Simon Furman. And then so you had an, a kind of another reality going on. And then everything changes again after... I'm probably screwing up a little timeline here. But then everything changes again after Transformers the movie, the first animated one, where everything's set in the year 2005. So th there is no, this is very much a comedic take on the Transformers mm -hmm. using more of the animated series versions mm -hmm. of the characters. Uh, from, in my experience, I have not read a, it's not like G.I. Joe where I've read 
damn near the entire first run of the you know of the the, the first series and a bunch of the you know the when it was de at Devil's Due and all that. Um, it's a fun book, kind of goofy. Uh, I hate Mars Attacks. Oh really? I love Mars Attacks. Uh, well, well, let me let me put it to you this way. I think I like Mars Attacks as a trading card series, mm, mm -hmm. but that movie really kind of soured me on the concept of this being a property. You know, oh, I love I love that movie. You get to see Jack Nicholson die twice. What's your, what's your beef with Jack Nicholson? I love Jack Nicholson. That's the thing. It's a juicy when when you get to die in a movie like that. It's like the juiciest. He plays the president and that that casino owner, and they both get the casino owner. You know, they get both get spectacular deaths. It's it's a nice, you know, it's good to see Jack Nicholson act to death. You know, I mean, it's always good to see Jack Nicholson kill somebody or be killed. You know, it's it's just a good meaty part for you know any of the great actors. De Niro, you you want to see any of them kill or, or be killed? And I yeah I, I I love that movie. It was so so good naturedly bad natured, you know. Just the the joy. You see, that's what I think about the, the thing I didn't like about. I, I like this comic. It was an enjoyable very you know a quick yeah, enjoyable it, it, read but i it think isn't it gave, anything other than what it's supposed to be it gave the martians a little short shrift it, it really focused more on the transformers and stuff and what i loved about the martians were they were so happy killing everybody they just were so they were they were they they were enjoying their job they weren't just invaders they were having they were having a great time and they were they were being creative about it, <laughs> and they don't get as much of a. I mean, it's I guess it's not as fun. This is gonna sound awful. It's not as fun when they just have giant robots to fight, you know, than when they were wiping out like all of Congress, you know, making Congress just a pile of ashes, you know. That was just great. So, but um, you know. This kind of reminds me of the Superman Thundercats one shot that happened back in like 2003, 2004. The guy that wrote that, I think that was Judd Winnick, if I'm remembering correctly. He basically came out and said, okay, I'm doing this crossover. There's not going to be a big plot. I'm just going to put these two, these two properties together and have some fun. And I think with certain crossovers, I mean, you know, when, when Superman met Spider-Man, I think that kind of story demanded that you pay attention to the world of both characters. Yeah, yeah, you had to craft, and try to make a story, a story out of it. This, this is almost a piece of fan fiction. Yeah, it has a little meta to it, like it's like where they say stuff like, "Oh, we're totally gonna fight now, aren't we?" Yes. Yeah. You no, know, you know that sort of thing. You know, there's a little asides that that. I still hate that. you. Likewise, I mean, you know that kind of thing. Good shot, but I still hate you. Likewise, yeah, it's 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 total total just you know people having you know nudging and winking on the characters and stuff like that and uh you know i don't i i don't mind that i i don't you know i mean if they were gonna do this all realistic i guess it would also you might want to do it over more than one issue but yeah i was about to say that that's kind of an epic because then you have to really deal with a lot the, of stuff yeah 
the problem is is that at the end of the day uh as powerful as the martians and mars attacks are they're not going to beat the transformers no there's too much firepower there and that's why you got to treat it lightheartedly like they do yeah yes you know if, if you tried to take it seriously then you 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 do need more than one issue because you'd have to have some sort of like insidious plot that the Martians are using to undermine the Transformers because yeah, they're not going to do it mano a mano. Have taken them over or have deactivated them, and there's one Transformer left. But it's kind of like in the original series when the only Autobot left was Ratchet, who was the medic, and it's up to him to awaken all the Autobots, and he is by no means a warrior. So it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're rooting for him because the the odds are definitely stacked against him. Yeah. Now, this this one had all the story of a kid getting his action figures together and making them yeah. fight. That's all it was. It was like, we're fighting. Hey, look, here comes something else. Now, look, I'm your friend. Oh, no, I double-cross you. Now we're friends. And, like, when they were underneath a force field, the aliens trapped them both on both sides under the force field and they're like all right well we're gonna team up let's get out of here and then they just sort of go pew pew and and the force field's gone and then it's like now we're fighting boom boom you know now we will use our ultimate weapon no you won't bam and and that's it you know but that's all you really need for a one shot that's it's basically a snakes on the plane sort of thing you know where it's playing off the the title somebody goes hey what about this mars attacks transformers i like it you know <laughs> give me a one shot and yeah that's that's the whole pitch can't go wrong <laughs> yeah you can't go wrong look we sell this many transformers books we sell you know i don't know how much mars attacks stuff is is selling but you know it's 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 famous and it's kitschy fun and and uh and it was hard to tell which um, Mars attacks they were playing off more, the Tim Burton one or the, the trading card ones. I was thinking the, the trading card ones because, like I said, I wanted ack, 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 ack. That was my favorite part of the movie is all they did was when you saw him talk was just like how could you hate that movie <laughs> it's got I just Tom didn't like jo- it. it's got yeah, Tom no. Jones with a falcon on his arm at the end <laughs> I'm not a fan either to be honest with you but uh, it, it's you know, my- basically it wasn't for me I was talking with fanboy Miss Prime when he suggested this and I couldn't remember I still can't and now and of course now this is the episode where Scott isn't here. I couldn't remember if Scott was a fan or not. I'm tending to think he's with you guys, that he wasn't... Too, I don't know if he hated it, but he wasn't too keen on it. But then again, it's got Slim Whitman in it, which I know, you know, Scott and I have a soft spot for... for it's got all this stuff in it that is just made for me. Yeah, well, I mean, Mike, don't let Rachel hear this because I don't want her to dislike me, but... uh. Tim Burton's sensibilities are kind of lost on me. She doesn't like this one. Okay, but yeah, I mean, just as a general rule, Tim Burton yeah. for me, it's he he he's got a certain artistic vision that is lost on me. 
There's, there's yeah, well, stuff that he does that I absolutely think is, you know, like a lot of his, er most of his early stuff, I just, I love. But then there's stuff like Big Fish that I think is, you know. Big Fish is my great. favorite Tim Burton film outside of Ed Wood. Uh, hands down, Big, Big Fish will make me freaking cry every time <laughs> I see that film. I haven't seen that movie since my dad died, so. It, it is <laughs> you know? so emotional. And it's got all of his little tricks, but it's very grounded in the in the real world. It's like all of the the fantastical stuff that's Tim Burton world is stuff that you're not supposed to believe in anyways. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't it? It was a book, right? By it was a book that he adapted. So it has, I believe so. But it has all those, you know, Tim Burton father issues stuff there it is in this story but it's not an undercurrent you know it's the main gist of of the story so i think it was like tim burton's thesis and catharsis you know for his relationship with his own father in a way or you know in some way dealing with that you know and uh, I, it certainly felt like that you know and it seemed like it was maybe like and it seems like his movies actually took a sort of downward slope after that because maybe he got that out of his system and maybe that was fueling a lot of the energy of his movie actually the one of the things i heard is that it didn't do so well and kind of broke his heart a little bit because uh, it's, it's his most emotional and that's not and the, you know when that doesn't do as well that's got to hurt I mean, it, critically, I'm sure it, it did really well. You know, that was that was one of those movies. I downloaded the uh, uh, bootleg of it, and I, I literally got two minutes into it and was like, I can't watch this as a fuzzy, you know, camera bootleg. And I and I got on my bike and rode to the theater and watched it. And I love movies about storytelling too, about like, you know people who stretch their lives and you know blow it blow it up and what's real and what's not real and uh that movie had it all and great character acting and oh it's just fantastic it's funny from the from transformers that, well i guess mars attacks that's the solid tim burton yeah this isn't much of a tangent yeah no it just seems <laughs> like one but now that i think of it i think those were more of the trading card mars aliens which is unfortunately unfortunate because there's not as you know i mean the card series was neat but the mars attacks aliens you can picture them in action you know what i mean they're much more there's much more of a visual library for people to to apply to and see them in there and, and here they're just sort of there you know to so you can say that it was mars attacks Transformers. The transform. Well, the Mar Martians aren't real characters anyway, so I guess that's why the Transformers were the only real characters in it, which is funny because they're robots. <laughs> but that's about all I got on uh, on that. Fanboy must prime. I hope you're happy. Finally, that we've talked about a, a um, trans. Transformers. I mean, uh, I, I I get the the feeling that you really like the Transformers. I don't know why. I just have this hunch. But 
next time we have no idea what our top five list is going to be or what my get Chris to read a goddamn comic's going to be because Scott Gardner is going to pick them for us. I think he already has. I think he has the ideas in mind. He just hasn't told us yet. It's a mystery. So it's a mystery. It's a mystery to, wrapped a, in an enigma and compounded in a riddle. And then and then wrapped in another layer of bacon and, and deep fried in peanut oil. Everything's good when you wrap it in bacon. Yep, and then it's set right next to a big ball of vanilla ice cream. And... <laughs> so, we'll see you guys next month for... We're closing in on Comics Monthly Monday 50, so... Get ready for that because we're not. Where we will finally get back to Swamp Thing. <laughs> it will be a six hour Swamp Thing extravaganza. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2 True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts, for more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? 
Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. No, I, 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 I don't agree with... <laughs>